So uh, we are in a brand new series uh, called Soul Detox. I'm very excited about this series. Um, honestly, especially today's message is kind of out of um, a journey that I've kind of just gone through. And so very excited. Basically, the point of this series is, hey, we live in a world that's got all kinds of junk in it, right? And and a lot of times we, that junk kind of gets caught up in our lives and we get caught up in the mess and we get caught up in, in just trying to do life. And the point of this message is kind of to go through a soul detox, to get all the junk out and get, get everything, get clean, get cleansed and get ready to just kind of keep rolling and, and grow in Christ. And so kind of that's the, the journey through it. Today we're, uh, we're focusing specifically on the restless soul. Um, has anybody ever been there, right? Where you just feel like you can't catch up where you got this long to-do list and you're checking stuff off, but, but twice as fast as you're getting stuff done, things are being added to it. And you feel like you just got this weight of all of these things that have got to get done. You got all these things that, have, that are just piling up and you feel like you can't catch up. You get to that point where you're just so exhausted that you just want to lay down and take a nap or, or go to bed early and you, you, go down, you lay down and you start to go to sleep and then your mind just starts turning and you just start thinking about all of those things you got to get done. Have you ever been there? Has anybody else <laughs> experienced that? For me, very recently, kind of going into the summer, it just kind of all hit me all at once. Just sitting there thinking, you know, the, the thought of, of starting a business and the weight and the responsibility and the risk that come with that, the thought of, of trying to work and provide for my family, the thought of, of pastoring, not just planting and starting this church, but being responsible for, for people. And, and, and then even on top of all of that, the fact that we're bringing a daughter into this world and the thought of being a good father and, it's, and all, of these, all of these things just kind of weighed on me and I'd sit down and you know also the, the lawn would need to get cut and the dishes need to be done and, and the house needs to be clean and you just have all of this stuff that needs to get done and you just want to rest. You just want to relax. You just want some peace and you can't find it, right? You ever feel like you, you're looking at other people's Facebook or Instagram or social medias and it seems like, you know, they're living this life that you want and you feel like you're just waiting for your ship to come in, right? You ever feel like life is even, life is even going good and you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop? Like life is good, but surely something bad has, has to happen soon. You're just constantly at a state of restlessness, um, some, the, it can be caused by a number of different things, a project at work, a marriage that's falling apart, kids falling off the deep end, so broke that if someone were to steal your identity, they'd actually give you money instead of taking it, right? Like, like we've all been there with bills piling up and, and, and we just feel like we can't catch up. What is it for you? What causes that restlessness? What causes us unable to catch up, unable to even feel like we can catch our breath, be able to breathe? And today, the point of this message, honestly, it's not to solve all those problems. Church is not some kind of magic fairy place where you come in and somebody gives you some sprinkled dust and you go out and all your problems are gone. I've used the, the illustration before. If you didn't make your bed before you came to church this morning, it's not gonna be made when you get home. Right? Just because we come to church and we, we, we experience worship and we, we hear a message and even God begins to stir in our heart, it doesn't make our problems go away. The assignments are still in front of us. The job is still there. The laundry is still piled up and coming to church is not gonna fix those issues. 
But my hope is from the message today that we'll leave this place with the ammunition to charge those problems, to fight those issues and overcome any obstacle in our way and in the midst of that process, be able to find that rest, that peace, that relaxation that we so desperately need. Because the truth is, the truth is, if you don't take time to find rest, your body will make you stop. Whether it's a heart attack or a stomach ulcer or a cold or a flu, our bodies are not designed to be running 100% 24-7. We have to find time to rest. And today we're going to be looking, if you have your Bibles, you can open up or cut it on however you're reading today. And we're going to be in First Peter. And this is a letter from the very Peter that we just talked about as we went through this series of, in Acts. This is the very Peter, and he's writing a, church, writing a letter to a church that's under attack, right? A church that is being persecuted, and it seems like there's no way it's ever going to end. They have all of these goals. They have all of these dreams. They have all of these things they want to accomplish, but it doesn't seem like they're ever going to get there. Does that sound familiar? And he's saying, hey, this church is under attack. And, and honestly, that's kind of some Christian language, right? If you haven't been in church a lot, you probably don't say, man, I'm really under attack. The terminology we would use would be like, man, my life is falling apart. Nothing is going right. I feel like everything is crashing down on top of me. And in this passage, Peter's saying, that is the enemy attacking us. And we can have peace and we can have hope. So let's go, let's go to, to Peter's letter, 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm going to start with verse 5 and read through verse 11, and we'll kind of unpack it together. Verse 5 says this, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Listen to verse 5. Be alert and of sober mind, because your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered for a little while will himself restore you, make you strong, make you firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. So Peter's looking at him and he's saying, hey, you're under attack. You may be going through depression or anxiety or fear and, and, and you're under attack and he kind of says all of this mounts itself and it all kind of manifests itself. It appears in anxiety. And he says to cast that on Jesus because he cares for you. And then he kind of gives this defense for how we're supposed to do it. He says to be alert and of sober mind because the devil is like a roaring lion. Now, let's just be real for a minute. I'm a tough guy, but if I'm walking through the jungle and I hear a lion roar, I'm going to scream and I'm going to run, right? Like, I don't even like house cats, so let alone this predator cat, right? Like, like I'm, I'm just going to run. 
And we've all been there, right? Like if we, there's this, this instinct in all of us that, that they call the fight or flight mode, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? Where, where when we get in this situation, we feel like we have to survive. Our body says we gotta do whatever it takes to survive. And in each situation, our mind in this split second makes this decision. I'm either gonna fight my way out of this or I'm gonna run my way out of this. And listen, neither one is necessarily wrong or right. I can remember one time after football practice, we had gotten in trouble and we had to run these hills and believe it or not, I hate to run. And so I was upset and because it wasn't even my fault, but we had gotten in trouble as a team and, and we're walking back. And one of the guys that was the main reason we got in trouble is running his mouth. And I said something smart, like shut up. And he turned around and I kind of walked past him and bowed into him. And, and it was really dumb because this guy could bench press me and I was like an offensive lineman. And you know, when you're around all your boys, running is never an option, right? And so he turns around and pushes me and I'm like, oh no. I have to either fight or run and running is not an option. So I do the next best thing and I just swing my helmet at him to try and hit him. He dodges it and we just go at it. Coaches pull us apart. You know, he, let's be honest, he probably won, but I held my own, okay? I held my own. I got my licks in. They pulled us apart. They made us like run and tackle each other a few times and it was done, right? But in that moment, I had to either run or fight. And I chose to fight. But you know, there's another story from when I was younger, hanging out with my brother and my cousin. We would always go exploring in the woods and stuff behind our house like like boys do. And and we go and we start walking in the woods and we're walked further than we've ever walked before. And there's like this electric fence that we've now crossed under. And we go and we come up to this field. And it's like the sun's starting to set and you get to this field and there's like waist high grass and it's kind of flowing in the wind and it's like this amazing beautiful scene of gold color grass and I'm like man this is awesome right so we walk through the field and we get through it and we get to some more woods and these woods are like super thick with like thorns and stuff like that we're fighting our way through it and then we get to a second field and it's like the complete opposite like it's an open field and there's perfect rows of trees and every one of those trees is dead And the sun is now set down past the tree. So instead of being gold and pretty, it's like gray and scary. And, you know, being young boys, we start, man, it's like life and death. And we start making all these jokes and all these scenarios and stuff. And then I swear, to this day, I have no idea what animal or what it would be that would make this noise. But we hear this loud screech. And the three of us, without even blinking, take off running, right? We don't know what the noise is. Fighting, it's probably not gonna end well, so we flee. And here's the deal. When we get in these situations, whether the fight is bigger than us or the running is ahead of us and we can't run because believe it or not, it's hard to tell by the way I look now, but I was kind of chubby as a little kid, right? And so believe it or not, I'm keeping up with the two skinny my cousin and brother, I'm keeping up with them because when we get in this mode, we have to survive. We either have to fight or we have to take flight, but we have to survive. And our body does things that we can't explain. It's unimaginable, but our body does things that we have to do so that we can survive. And we've all been in this fight or flight mode. And when we take, our, we take a step back and we look at what is causing us anxiety, we look at the, the list that's piling up, the thing that's creating restlessness in our soul, we are looking at it and our bodies naturally kick into flight or fight mode. But the problem is, the problem is that the problem doesn't go away, right? So we feel like we need to run from it. But when we run, we're not escaping the trouble. 
or if we feel like we need to fight it, we'll fight it in ways that don't deal with the problem so we're not escaping the trouble. So our body is in flight or fight mode with no solution. And that is what leads to anxiety. And that is what leads to restlessness. It's literally biological. Our bodies naturally get into this flow, get into this way that we have to survive, but we're not solving the problem. And more often than not, even when we think we're fighting, we're always taking flight. We try to face the issue with things like, like if we're in pain, we try to take these pain pills to numb whatever it is that's doing it, or, or we turn to drugs, or we turn to alcohol, or we turn to work, or we turn to relationships, or we turn to whatever it is that we can do to get away from whatever is causing us this anxiety. We just try to deal with it. We try to, to, to face it by ourselves and solve the problem. And all that is, is running from it. And running from your, solu- running from your problems is never the solution. This is a, a terrible story, and I don't even know where I first heard it, but, but somewhere along the line, I got some bad advice on how to scare a cat, right? Like to scare a cat, you take a, a paper bag. I've never done this, okay? I've just been told about it. You take a paper bag, and you get some frozen peas, and you pour those frozen peas inside the paper bag, and you tie it to the cat's tail, and then you scare the cat. And so what happens? The cat takes off running, And because the bag is always behind it, it feels like it can't get away. And it just runs and runs and runs and runs and eventually will run itself to death. Now, I don't know if anybody that's ever done this, but a lot of us are facing our problems in this same way. We're doing whatever we can and we're running and we're running and we're running and we're running ourselves to death. Peter says, look, The enemy is like a roaring lion and we hear it in the background and we enter into flight mode and we start trying to run from our problems. But you will know something really cool about this picture of a roaring lion. If you go and you actually look at lion culture, you have the alpha male, right? And the alpha male has this territory. He has a region that that is his. And any time a young lion comes in to try to take over, he will fight that lion. He'll use his claws, he'll use his teeth, he'll use his strength, and he'll roar at the top of his lungs. And he'll do this for years and years. Anytime there's another lion or another animal that comes into his territory, he defends it with all that he has. And then eventually what happens is the lion grows old. Its mane starts to fall out. Its teeth will literally fall out. Its muscles become weak. It can no longer defend its territory. But he uses that roar that he has developed over all the years of his rule. And he will roar at the top of his lungs. And no animal will even attempt it because he's built this reputation. Many of us, we look at our lives and Satan has ruled them for so long. He has scared us for so long that we just hear his roar and we take off running. But what we really have to do is we have to turn around and run towards the roar because Satan has no strength. His mane is all torn up. His teeth are falling out. He has no power over us. That anxiety, that thing that's causing us fear, depression, defeat, it has no power over you. We've read the end of the book. We know that Jesus dies on the cross and he defeats death, that he defeats Satan. We are victorious. We are winners. No matter what's happening right now, no matter what's going on, we have won the battle. Satan does not have power over us. We have to stop running from the roar and turn around and run to it.
Verse nine, after it says that Satan is like a roaring lion, what does it say? To resist him, to resist him. Running is not the answer, fighting is. We have to turn around and we have to face those issues. We have to face the broken marriages. We have to face the hard work. We have to face the kids. We have to face the finances. We have to face whatever it is. And there's only one way to do it. There's only one way that Peter talks about it. He says to clothe yourself with humility. To clothe yourself with humility. That God opposes the proud, but he's there for the humble. You know, the first time I read this, I was like, what are you talking about, right? Like, the reason I have anxiety is because I look at my problem and I say, I can't do it. It doesn't get much more humble than that, right? But Peter's saying, no, it's not, it's not you saying that you can't do it because you think you can't do it because you're facing it all by yourself. The way, the way that we approach and the way that we resist the devil is by, is by coming to a place of helplessness, we realize that we can't do it on our own. And the only answer is to cry out to God. If you go and you read the, the Psalms, there's an unlimited amount of Psalms that begin with the words, I cry out, Father, hear my voice. Father, hear my cry. You see, God's people should be in a state of desperation, calling out for him to move. Jesus is the perfect example of this. If you go and you read the beginning of Mark, he heals a couple of people. And because the news spreads of him healing people, crowds begin to form. And, and so it's the Sabbath. So Jesus rests on the Sabbath and then he wakes up the next day early in the morning and he goes by himself. He, he separates himself from everybody and gets along before his heavenly father. And then he comes back and he goes on like a healing rampage, right? Touching people, healing the lame, healing leopards, uh, healing family members of, of armed guards. And he just, he just goes around and he's healing people. But before he ever gets to that place where he's able to face that battle, he separates himself and desperately cries out to his heavenly father. Jesus was God. And he still made it a priority to call out to his heavenly father. I mean, you could go to the book of John. I've just got a few verses listed here. Uh, John 5.19, Jesus says, the son can do nothing by himself. John 5.30, Jesus says that by myself, I can do nothing. John 8.28 says that I can do nothing on my own. John 12.49 says, for I did not speak on my own. Over and over again, especially in the book of John, which is funny because the book of John prides itself on Jesus performing signs, right? Like his signs point to God, but he says he can't do it on his own. There's this desperation for God to move in his life. You can't defeat your battles. You can't defeat the enemy on your own. But Jesus through you is fighting the battle on your behalf. We have to come to a place of desperation. The cure for restlessness is helplessness. Reaching out for God. There's a, one of my favorite stories in scripture is Peter when he steps out of the boat and walks on water towards Jesus, right? They see Jesus out in the distance and Peter's there and he says, Jesus, if that's you, call me out of the boat. And Jesus says, come out. So Peter climbs out of the boat because of Jesus, right? And then he starts kind of testing the waters and he's, he's walking on water because of Jesus. He's out of the boat and he's walking on water because of Jesus, eyes fixed on him, letting Jesus fight the battle. And when he gets right within reaching distance of Jesus, what does he do? 
takes his eyes off of him, sees the waves, hears the wind, and begins to look at Peter. He begins to look at himself and he says, I can't do this. I can't do this. And he starts to sink. And in that moment where he's sinking, he reaches out, he reaches out and Jesus reaches down and grabs him. In this moment of desperation, he calls out, save me. And Jesus reaches out and saves him. He gives him some rebuke. He says, oh, you have little faith. Like, and he corrects him and he brings him on board. And he says, look, with Jesus, you can walk on water. But it all comes down to that moment of complete brokenness and a willingness to reach out, a willingness to cry out, Father, save me. Father, help me. Fight my battle. See, it's not about how much you know. It's about how much you surrender. It's not about how good you are at one thing or another. It's how much you surrender. Not about your skill set or your abilities. It's about how much you are willing to surrender. And it comes down to being a people desperate for God to move. And it's in those moments of desperation that God performs the greatest miracles in our lives. I'm in the middle of reading a book called A Praying Life. And, and it's really a powerful book that kind of unpacks what a praying life looks like. And he talks about in one chapter being helpless for God. And he kind of gives this illustration about um, he has a daughter that has uh, severe autism to the point where she doesn't speak. And a lot of times she will bite herself and harm herself. And um, one of the big things that she does is she'll get up in the middle of the night, like four o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, and she'll start pacing back and forth. And she'll just start pacing back and forth. And it wakes her up and it wakes the family up and and the family's not getting sleep and it, and it becomes this really big problem. And so they get to this place of desperation, and they're, but they're desperate on their own terms. And they yell out for the daughter to go to sleep and she'll go back and she'll lay down but in a few hours she gets back up and does the same thing again and they yell at her again and they do this for years and one day the author of the book says that he gets up and he's he's done he's desperate because nothing seems to work and the wife looks at him and says are you going to yell at Kim he says no I'm going to pray with her and so he goes up and he gets her to lay down and he prays with her and he does that for several weeks. And, and when he prays for her, she lays down and stops pacing. But the next night she gets up and she starts doing it again. And then he realized that he was looking at her like a person with a disability and not a child of God. So he changed his prayer and said, Lord, I just pray that she'll pray to you. And after a while she catches on and she starts praying. And so you have this family for four months that are praying with desperation that God would move in this situation and he would allow them to get some sleep. And then something happens because of his job and they have to actually move. And when they move, they get into the new home and Kim never again paces the floor. See, they knew that she was sensitive to things like sound, but they never made the connection that the plant across the street that had tractor trailers leaving in the middle of the night would wake her up and cause the pacing. But see, in their spirit of prayer, they didn't even know God was moving, but he was moving and he moved them. And when they moved, the thing that they had been desperately crying out for God to move, and he fixes the problem, listen, we are facing all kinds of issues. And when you leave here today, those issues aren't gonna be gone. But if we start now crying out to God that he would move on our behalf, that he would fight our battles, God will begin to move. You may not even know he's moving, but he's moving. 
The cure for the restless soul was to get to a place where we are willing to be desperate for God to move in our life and completely surrender to him and trust that he's going to move. Look, that when it comes to our problems, I had a long list of stuff I wanted to talk about, about coming up with a strategy and, and knowing that in order to, to fix one thing, you're gonna have to sacrifice other things. And I had all this stuff I wanted to talk about and God just said, no, it's not about this big strategy because, because that's in your own strength. If you can learn one thing to adjust the restless soul is to cry out to me in deep prayer on how much I love you, I'm your father, and I wanna help you. And the Lord has taken me through this journey. I had all this weight that I felt like was on me, especially in the beginning of the summer. And as I'm coming out of that, listen, I've never been one of those people to spend hours in prayer. All right, I know I'm the pastor and I'm supposed to do that, right? But, but the past couple of weeks, I've just taken time to intentionally separate myself and cry out in prayer. And it's been unbelievable, the peace that I have felt and the way that I've seen God move. Sometimes it just takes this moment of desperation that we'll cry out to God in humility and we'll take the eye out of anxiety. We'll take the eye out of pride and we'll let God battle for us. So I ask you again, what's causing your anxiety? What's causing your pain? I'm gonna have the worship team come up and we're gonna sing, go come to the altar again. And this song, I just want it to be a time where our hearts turn to him in reverence, in surrender. Are you at a place where you're willing to cry out? Abba, Father, which is more church language, but it's one of those things that you see even Jesus. He says, Abba, it's like this Papa, like this loving dad with open arms hugging his children. And there's not really even another word for it that whether it's in the the Greek or whether it's in the English translation, they still use the word Abba because it's this picture of God wrapping us in his arms. And he's there today saying, surrender to me. Let me wrap you in my arms. Call out to me because I am your father and I am ready to fight for you. I am for you.